Hello, and welcome to Fangraphs Audio, episode 929. On this edition of the program, David Lorla has a pair of interviews with professional pitchers who are eager to talk about their craft. First up, David welcomes Jansen Junk, a 22nd round draft pick in the Yankees system who is tearing up AA this year. The pair talk about Junk's hot stretch and what got him there, including being early to driveline and getting more into pitch science. The right-hander also talks about going to school with Tigers starter Tarek Skubal, as well as the kind of pitcher he is striving to be on the mound. Do you view yourself at all as a power pitcher, or do you really see yourself as more of a tactician? I want to be a everything. I want to be a everything pitcher. I want to be able to do all of it, you know, be a power pitcher when I want to, be a junk ball thrower when I have to, and place it where I want. You know, I, don't, I really don't think of myself as, you know, one or the other. I don't throw 100 so I would, I would call that maybe a power pitcher. When I'm out there, I'm just trying to compete, win every single pitch, and get guys out no matter what. After that, David is joined by former major leaguer Clayton Richard. The left-hander is now spending most of his time as a parent and youth coach, but he has learned a lot about pitching and baseball since he first arrived on a professional mound. David and Richard talk about things like pitching with conviction, how Mark Burley would have felt about today's analytics, and how they wish they knew then what they knew now. Richard, like Jansen Junk, also shares some insight on how pitchers can educate themselves in today's game to get better. Just kind of along the road, running into other pitching coaches, other pitchers. In baseball, there's so many resources at your disposal at the major league level that you can get as much information as you'd like to help yourself along. And it's, it's really neat having gone through that process and been able to learn so much about the act of pitching. But before we get to those interviews, I must ask you if you have perused the Fangraphs merch page recently. Check out those t-shirts, hats, and mugs, or consider a Fangraphs membership as a gift for yourself or for a friend. This is the best way to help us do what we do, and we truly appreciate it. Thank you. Enjoy the show. Hey, baseball fans, this is David Lorela. My guest is Jansen Junk, pitching prospect in the New York Yankees system. For those of you not familiar with Jansen, he is with Double A Somerset. As we're recording, which is on Wednesday morning, Jansen has a 1.07 ERA in nine appearances, eight of them starts. Jansen, thanks for coming on to uh, Fangraphs Audio. Thank you, David. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we should start with the fact that you were a 22nd round pick in 2017 out of Seattle University, and you came into into this year very much under the radar. You know, I'm not sure that I've seen your name on, on any top prospect mm-hmm. list. So what is behind uh, all of the success you've had this year? Um, I think, you know, it's just having that chip on my shoulder, being a 22nd rounder. I know nothing is, you know, just given to me. I got to work my way up. And after 2019, you know, I had to look back at that season. It was probably my worst minor league season and, you know, kind of dive deeper into what I was doing right and what I was doing wrong. And, you know, the, the COVID off season was kind of a, kind of a blessing in disguise because I was able to get, you know, an extra six months of an off season. So I was able to, you know, dive in deeper into pitch design, to pitch mechanics, you know, have more time to develop, you know, a few pitches I really wanted to work on. And I think uh, with my trainer, my pitching coach from the Yankees, uh, you know, we really 
hit home at what we needed to do. And, you know, it was pretty much my support staff around me that really helped me excel this past year in the off season. So I think, you know, just having a confidence in my abilities and know that I got good stuff really helps me. So, you know, just having that chip on my shoulder and knowing that nothing's given to me and I got to earn it. Yeah, what uh, what about the deep dive though, Jansen? Uh, along with working with people in the Yankees organization, you know, you being a Seattle guy, I don't know if you maybe have trained at Driveline before. Yeah, so I trained at Driveline since I was in high school, probably my senior year of high school in 2014. That's when I got introduced to Driveline and Kyle Bodie. At that time, it was probably just five of us at the facility. You know, so I've I've seen that company grow into what it's what it is today and it's um really cool where they're heading but during covid they shut down and they're moving facilities so i didn't have the opportunity to go there so i had to figure things out on my own and luckily my strength coach kyle rogers he is a former employee at driveline and then daniel moscos my double a pitching coach i worked with him during this off season and he also went to driveline and was a trainer there. So having that background of all three of us, we know, you know, how to operate, you know, what we're looking at and what we want to look at. So having that team really helped, you know, my time over this off season, not being in the facility at driveline. So driveline has really excelled my career in many ways. But, you know, this past offseason, not having them, I thought we really, really did a good job at diving deeper into uh, my pitch package and figuring out what's best for me. And what have you learned about your pitch package? Pretty much when after or during the 2019 season, before I wanted to get my slider and curveball more like separated in 2018, 2017, I just kind of had like a curveball slurve type pitch. And I thought it'd be better if I had something hard moving away from righties and then a curveball that I can throw to lefties more often. So we worked on that in the 2018 offseason. I thought I had it down. You know, I got into the 2019 season and didn't really have feel of the slider. Kind of was exposed to right-handed hitters and didn't really feel confident in the way I was pitching. That played a major factor into that season and then looking at this past off season i just wanted to make two distinguished pitches and get it consistently moving the way i want it so using you know trackman's rapsodos edgers using all those tools i was really able to dive deep into the slider specifically and getting that i i've always had the curveball that's pretty easy for me to replicate but the way my wrist moves on the slider, that was kind of hard for me to replicate every single time. Sometimes I would try to manipulate my wrist where, you know, if you think about manipulating your wrist, like turning it, that's kind of hard to consistently do on the mound. So I just thought of keeping a stiff wrist coming down on the side of the ball. It sounds pretty simple, but it's harder than it, harder than it sounds. But, you know, just trying to get some specific movements on that slider specific velo separation between that and the curveball was really the driving point into those two pitches. So it sounds like you were able to improve the consistency of your slider, but what about the actual pitch shape? Were you able to make it a little bit sharper, a little depthier? Yeah, so I wouldn't say more depth. It's definitely got more horizontal break, 
right now it's probably averaging 17 inches of horizontal and then about like negative one vertical. So it does have a little rise to it, but you know, the 17 inches of horizontal is a drastic change from what I had previous. It was probably like six inches maybe. So it was more, I mean, six inches isn't bad, but it wasn't what I wanted. It was like more cuttery-ish. So making that pitch more sweepy was the goal for that. And that's kind of just like getting into like spin direction, stuff like that. You know, the way the ball comes out of my hand was helping me allow to get that sweep. So it is not a ground ball pitch as, as so much. Or is, is. or is it a it's, swing and miss pitch? It's, it's definitely a swing and miss pitch. I'm talking about the, I'm trying to think what a typical slider would have in depth wise. Maybe it would be like, uh, like four inches, five inches of negative five inches of vertical break. But mine usually just has a little bit more. So it's kind of like a rising slider or something. It definitely fools hitters. It's definitely a swing and miss pitch. And you know, I got the confidence in it that I can throw in any count anywhere in the strike zone and feel like I'll have success. So you have allowed, I see, just 21 hits in 42 innings. You get swing and miss, but your 46 strikeouts, it's not as though you're punching guys out left and right. So inducing soft contact does seem to be your, your MO. Is that accurate? Yeah. yeah, I guess. I've been, uh, you know, I just want to limit the walks a lot of the times. I'm big on not giving freebies out. So definitely my last few starts, the team's been more aggressive early in the count. Definitely there's more opportunities to strike people out, which I think I could be better at just executing those two strike counts. But if they're up there hacking early in the count, I'll take a first pitch ground out, you know. I'll take it easy out like that and keep the pitch count down. I mean, my last two outings, I was around like 70 pitches through six and seven innings. So, you know, I definitely want to get the strikeout numbers up. That's probably the only critique I would have with the last few outings. But, you know, in all of it, I'm happy to come away with a win, happy to come away with a low pitch count, no walks. You know, just I want to be the aggressor out there. You know, I don't want to pick around the zone. I want to be the one forcing the momentum. I want to be I want to be the intimidator on the mound. I don't want to be pitching passively. I want to be the aggressor. Yeah, the the strikeout rate actually uh, on your club is absolutely insane. You're king just under 10 per nine innings. And it looks like it's actually one of the lower rates on, on the club. You have guys like Waldachuk, Sears, Otto, I think Gill is the other. You know, they're, they're punching out like 14 guys per nine innings. So I don't know how much of that is just pure raw talent and how much is a great pitching program in, in the Yankees organization. Yeah, I was, you know, it's a little mixture of both. Everybody has their um, unique way of pitching. Everybody's here for a reason. But the Yankees definitely have helped us develop our pitches, hunt for strikeouts. You know, we want to be, like I said, we want to be the aggressor. We want to be controlling the zone. We want to be controlling the game. So, you know, we want to be seen out there for striking people out and not letting people on base. And being able to spin the ball is actually huge. Are you a guy who gets really good spin on all, all of your pitches? Yeah, I would say I'd, I'd probably get a little like above average. I think depends what pitch we're talking about. I'll probably spin a fastball like 2,500, 2,600, and then off speed up in the, you know, upper 2000s range. So, I mean, everybody can spin it nowadays. So, you know, it's just how you use that. 
Yes, and some guys uh, apparently are spinning it more or less legitimately than than others. That's a real cannibal <laughs> in today's game. So yeah. Really. yeah, the sticky stuff definitely uh, has created a problem in the game, but they're starting to crack down on that and do the routine checks. And yeah, I guess it, it's good for the game. You know, everybody's at an even playing field now. So now it's just going out there and competing. Yeah, sticky stuff aside, Jansen, have you noticed much difference in the baseballs that you've been throwing the last few years, you know, year to year and level to level and maybe throwing some big league balls during spring training? Yeah, I mean, I remember hearing Trevor Bauer talk about this in an interview or something. Every single ball is different when you get it, the way it's rubbed up. And, you know, sometimes you get a ball and it's like a cue ball, barely rubbed up. And then the next one is too rubbed up or, you know, just super dusty. So it's the inconsistency about those balls um, that I think people, you know, reach for that substance, that extra tack or something. But yeah, the balls are pretty slick. If, if you don't use any rosin or anything, if you just grab a ball, it is pretty slick no matter what the level. Um, I haven't had too much experience with the big league balls I've thrown with them, but mostly we're just, you know, we're throwing those minor league balls and those change game by game, pitch by pitch. Um, It just depends who's rubbing it up. So I wish there would be a better way or like, you know, better way of rubbing up the ball. So they're all consistently the same, you know, type of tack or mud on it. Um, I don't know how they would do that, but you can definitely tell, you know, one ball from another. And which pitches are most and least affected by a slicker baseball? If if the ball is harder to grip, which pitches are harder to command and get optimal break on? Oh, off speed for sure. I would say like a hard slider, probably, curveball. Anything you, you're trying to build leverage on the ball, those are the pitches you're going to have a bigger problem at. You're, it's going to make you hold the ball a little bit harder, more pressure, getting out front a little bit more. So anything that makes you leverage a seam or, you know, a side of a ball, those that's what makes it a little bit more difficult with a slip ball. Yeah, just a, a few more things, Jansen. You know, we talked about primarily about your slider. Is there anything notable about the other pitches in your repertoire? For instance, do you have any unique grips? I would just say, like, the way my fastball moves is pretty unique everybody usually has you know a high vertical break with some type of run my my fastball has a high vertical break with cut so you know my horizontal break would be more towards zero and positive so usually you know it's, it helps me out it's really useful to lefties i can go up and in on a lefty and it looks like it's going to come right at the top of the zone and it just goes right onto their hands so using that fastball to my advantage is something unique in my repertoire. I would say my slider, the way my slider moves, uh, the sweep it has is above major league average. My curveball is a good offset of that pitch. The 12-6 movement it has on it really plays off that fastball. They tunnel well. And then my changeup. My changeup is still, I'm always working on my changeup, trying to get that better. I After looking at my last outing, I had some negative 16, 17 horizontal, positive, sorry, I'm getting it mixed up. It's literally two opposite pitches for my slider and my changeup. So having that in my pitch package as well will help me, you know, become a better pitcher down the line. And where is your velocity? I'm probably like mid nines on average. 
the nine, 90, 93 to 96. That's about average touching. I can touch 97. I can get it up there if I want to. But usually I, during the start, I'll be, be that mid-nines. Yeah. Do you view yourself at all as a power pitcher, or do you really see yourself as more of a tactician? I want to be at everything. I want to be an everything pitcher. I want to be able to do all of it, you know, be a power pitcher when I want to, be a junk ball thrower when I have to, and place it where I want. You know, I, don't, I really don't think of myself as, you know, one or the other. I don't throw 100, so I would, I would call that maybe a power pitcher. When I'm out there, I'm just trying to compete, win every single pitch, and get guys out no matter what. Yeah, you had a college teammate who I think qualifies as a power pitcher. <laughs> Are you talking about Scooble? <laughs> I am talking about Mr. Scooble, who who has a a, a golden yeah. arm. Um, yeah. And maybe let's yeah. let's close with this, Jansen. Uh, what can you tell us about about Tarek Scooble that we maybe don't know? Oh, Scooble's a goofy guy. I've loved that kid. Um, you know, we we're in the same draft class. We've been through a lot together. You know, we spent three years together on that baseball field. He's just a great guy off the field. Super nice. Super friendly. You know, I, I can always talk to him. He's He always talks to me. He's just overall a good guy. And then once he crosses those lines, he, you know, he takes another form. He's just, you know, super competitive. Um, I love watching him throw and, you know, seeing the success he's had over the last few years, you know, is really cool for him and uh, he deserves it all. Right. So uh, Yankee Tiger matchup in the ne- in the coming years, Junk Scooble would be uh, a lot of fun. I and think. There we go. Yes, that that would be one for the ages, for sure. <laughs> one for the ages. Jansen Junk, thank you very much again for coming on to Fangraphs Audio. Thank you guys for having me. Welcome back. Once again, this is David Lorela. The guest on part two of this week's episode is Clayton Richard, 37-year-old no longer, or should I say currently not pitching big league lefter. I don't I don't think, Clayton, you are quite formally retired yet. Is, is that correct? Right. I like to never say never, and I always felt as if retirements in baseball were kind of sacred to those who had Hall of Fame-type careers. And so I'm not either one of those, so not retired. <laughs> yeah, you're maybe a little short of the hall, but uh, age-wise, age we have to realize that Jamie Moyer was also a left-hander who pitched for a good long time. So Right, he was probably only about halfway through his career about this age. <laughs> yeah, well, Satchel Page, that was probably true, actually. I think Moyer maybe a little bit deeper at that, at that point. <laughs> Right. No, I, I mean, it, it, it's incredible to think that someone could have done that type of performance for so long into their life. And it's just, it's, it's amazing to look back on the few that were able to do it for so long and at such a high level. And it, it's just truly amazing. Yeah. At Fenway Park uh, a week or two, I was chatting with a scout. Actually, it was Greg Smith. Greg, uh, one of the two Greg Smiths who, who played in the big leagues. Greg played for a few years in the big leagues. He had actually played in AAA in the Tigers organization with Moyer. When Moyer when it was in his late 20s, and we chatted about that briefly, I had forgotten that Moyer had actually found himself back in, in the minor leagues at an age where a lot of times you don't make it back. So Right. I did not know that. That's incredible. For sure. I believe, uh, you know, we were talking on Wednesday, um, as we just did with, with our first guest. I believe, Clayton, that when we are done recording the podcast here, you're actually going to take your kids to uh, a baseball game in Cincinnati. That's pretty cool. 
No, we, we are. I don't know how cool it'll be for me because I've, I've been into stadiums not participating. It's not as fun as I'd hoped. <laughs> so I'm excited to see my kids' faces uh, when we get that opportunity because somehow when I left San Diego, they became big fans of San Diego. <laughs> but it, it took me leaving to get them on, on board. Right, and that is who the Reds are playing today. I believe it is uh, Joe Musgrove for the Pirates and uh, a young pitcher, Latimer Gutierrez, for the Reds. Yes, and we, we are excited about getting that opportunity. Yeah, San Diego and pitching for the Padres, you know, that was a while ago now. I think that was early in your career, is that correct? It was. I was there from, I got traded over there in 2009. I was there through 13, and I went back for 16, 17, and 18. Ah, yeah, I, for, I forgot about the return. Yeah, so you, you know San Diego well. So here's a question, Clayton, in this totally unscripted interview. How much do you know about pitching now that you did not know when you first played for the Padres way back when? Oh, man. I feel as if I know a significant <laughs> amount more than I did first coming in the league. Because I was only in the major leagues for about a year before I was traded over to San Diego. So I was still pretty early in my career at that point. And I kind of knew how to throw inside, throw outside, throw as hard as I can with two strikes. And I'd throw, mix in a slider. And my changeup wasn't really useful. But when I first got to San Diego and Darren Balsley was a pitching coach at the time, him being able to introduce me into how scouting reports were developed. And he showed his process and looking through a lineup and how to attack it and using your strengths, their weaknesses, kind of blending those together and, and having the most favorable outcome for you. It was a great learning experience. And then just kind of along the road, running into other pitching coaches, other pitchers. In baseball, there's so many resources at your disposal at the major league level that you can get as much information as you'd like to help yourself along. And it's, it's really neat having gone through that process and been able to learn so much about the act of pitching. And you got so much more of that information just uh, a year, year and a half ago. I think some of our listeners here may recall that we ran a long, very long, very <laughs> nerdy interview with, with Clayton a year ago, April, you know, early in the pandemic about how about how you were using data and technology to you know, re-energize your game. Based on what you told me at that point, you dug about as deep as any pitcher that I know. Yes, it was an opportunity where I had not been throwing well. I knew that I needed to change something or at least improve to make a viable comeback to get back into the major leagues. Unfortunately, I fell a little short, but I was happy with what I was able to do. And I manipulated my delivery to the point where my velocity increased, the spin axis changed. I was able to more consistently throw my slider for strikes. A lot of things I did and did well, and unfortunately, just the timing of it, a few things with COVID, there was no minor leagues. I ended up in Schaumburg with the White Sox at their alternate site, and it just didn't work out, but it was a great learning experience. I think I threw more <laughs> that last year than I did the previous 10, it seemed like. I was in the barn every day because old habits die hard, and to get those old habits out of my system, I just had to throw and throw and throw. 
Right. And all of that information that you gained and the work in the barn, you know, sets you up, I think, for a good coaching career, which I can I can see yourself thinking when you're at the ballpark tonight, looking at your kids, <laughs> thinking, you know, I don't really want to be away from them. And then the other part of you looks over into the dugout in the bullpen and thinking, man, I miss this stuff. I, I do miss this stuff. But what I did realize is how much more I missed my, my children. Cashton's my oldest. He's eight the, the past eight years. He was born in San Diego. So uh, we definitely have close ties there. But through those eight years that they've been alive, my, my second son, Cannon, is seven. My daughter, Kyle, is four. I've missed so much. And I realized that this past year, being home and being able to be a part of much more, that my new priority is kind of through them and helping them develop into whatever it is they want to be great at. And I have that opportunity now. I'm trying to take, make the most of it. I, I have agreed to coach quarterbacks at the local high school. So I'm getting my get, get my fill there, watch film, work with the quarterback. So that's a lot of fun. Well, for sure. Yeah. Are any of your kids left-handed, Clayton? Cannon is kind of left-handed. <laughs> He still throws a football left and right-handed. Uh, baseball, though, he, he's, he swings and throws left-handed. So he, he's our lefty. Cashton is right-handed. Right. So so I think that maybe one has a little edge in the other for uh, making pro ball someday. Right. And one's my favorite, clearly. <laughs> <laughs> no, the children are so different in so many ways. And how they move their body and how they throw a ball is different, too. And it, I, I try not to teach them how to throw. I want them to organize their body as organically as possible and just throw a baseball and how the, it comes out differently. One's left, one's right. The spin's different on both. The arm angle's different. How they step is, everything about it is different. And it's just really cool to see that just like a thumbprint, everybody's going to throw differently. And it's the challenge is trying to know why they do it. And then if you're going to make a change, you have, better have a good why is to change it because nine times out of 10, they're doing something for a reason. And I should probably note also that with all of the training and technology in the world and the progress we've made in many ways, your daughter could very well be pitching in 12 or 13 years. I know. We, we, better, not leave, we better not leave her out because she's probably the best athlete. <laughs> she, she's, she's a ball of fire and uh, I, I can't wait. She, she did a little bit of t-ball this year and it was a lot of fun. She, I don't think she's quite ready for t-ball, but we did it anyway. And she, she's definitely going to be our, our little athlete. No, I have said, as many people have said, uh, there eventually will be women playing professional baseball at a pretty high level. You know, whether it's as a crafty lefty, I know, a knuckleballer, and maybe mm -hmm. I'm selling short by not saying, you know, a good middle infielder. Right. And there's definitely obstacles and hurdles for them to overcome in, in getting there, but it's not out of the realm of possibilities. We've seen so many advancements in those areas that. It, it will be really special when that moment happens. And you had a moment at one point where you had to choose between baseball and, and football. Being a quarterback coach now in high school is a natural because you were, I understand, a very good quarterback. I mean, my dad says I was, so <laughs> that's got to be true. No, I, I thought I was. I went to Michigan to play football. That's why I went there. And then that did not work out as we had hoped and kind of moved on to baseball. But it's a sport that's that's special to me. It's near and dear to me, developing as an individual, some toughness, the ability to work with teammates and plan and do all those things that 
are so important later in life and whatever you get into football is such a great teacher of that. And I'm excited to help how I can with some young student athletes and hopefully provide some life experiences and athletic experiences that will help develop them further than if I had not been there. Yeah. I am guessing you have really enjoyed watching the university of Michigan baseball team in recent years. And maybe like myself, me being a, a Michigan native, a little bit frustrated with uh, the football team when it comes to winning big games. <laughs> oh, it, it is difficult, but I know how hard Coach Harbaugh and his staff work. That it, it's it's not lack of effort. They're tirelessly working, finding the the best recruits they can, and the people they have in the building. They're they're spending the right amount of time on them to develop. So I know they're doing everything they can, and no one, no one wants it more than the the people in that building uh, over it and Schimbeckler. So definitely it's, it's difficult when you don't get those wins, but believe me, they're, they're working at it and baseball, man, they have turned that around and they're doing special things over there. It, it's so much fun to watch how coach Backich and his guys are going in, in that direction. Right. Chris Fetter now, of course, going over mm-hmm. from Michigan to, to the Tigers recently. Yes. So baseball, uh, back to baseball, uh, baseball has a very sticky subject <laughs> to address these days you know can you share some thoughts on that i think it, it, it's it's tough it's, it's a tough situation that a lot of the pitchers have been thrown into because there's been an atmosphere and a culture where it wasn't accepted for such a long time i remember when i, I first come came up i i didn't know anything about that type of thing and going into the bullpen where i was in and out of the bullpen i, I went down there and they, i saw guys with shaving cream and I, that was one of the first things that just like they'd spray shaving cream, rub it on their hands, and it, it provided a little bit of tack. And it, it, it's like you saw it evolve throughout my career to where it was like that. And you saw some guys that had a little container of something that was really sticky. <laughs> and then the, the sunscreen and rosin, which creates quite a bit of tack. So there was definitely an evolution that, and then it coincided with the ability to read spin rates and, and see how that affected the baseball. And those two things coming together created something where it did create an advantage for pitchers. And I don't know that in the middle of the season is the best time to address it, but it's something that was inevitable that, that there needed to be something done to either make one substance universally acceptable or just get rid of it altogether. And just how much, Clayton, do substances improve a pitch's movement profile? And also, just how different is the effect of spit and rosin with things like spider tack? That's a good question. I wish I had more firsthand experience because I, I've witnessed guys use it. I never used rosin. I never went to a rosin bag because I, growing up, I never had rot Like, it was just something that wasn't out there. And so I never used it. And then with a football background, I always licked my fingers so I never liked anything on my fingers. The only time I tried something was a little bit of pine tar when uh, we'd be in like a super dry place because you couldn't lick your fingers enough. And so it wasn't enough, like I bet you if I got checked, they wouldn't tell because it was just enough to keep like the fingertips a little bit moist. So I I, I don't know about like the spider attack and the difference. Clearly there's a difference because as you see across the league right now, the average spin rates are dropping drastically relative to what they were. And when spin rate drops, typically depending on what pitch it is and, and the orientation of the spin, 
the movement profile is also going to be adjusted. So enough on sticky stuff. Let's go back a little bit, Clayton. We don't need to revisit the long print interview that we did 14 months ago. (laughs) But I am interested, maybe when you look back at the improvements you were able to make on your stuff, do you really wish that you could have done some of those things many years earlier? I wish I had that understanding many years earlier. And unfortunately, I didn't. I don't know if it would change anything. At the end of the day, my knee, my left knee really prohibited me from doing the things I wanted to do on the mound. And if I had that knowledge before, I don't know if that would have hastened the deterioration of my left knee. So there's so many ifs. I'm glad I got the experience I did when I did. And looking back on my career, there's not really much regret because everything I did, I, I tried and I put the effort and the time and sacrifice to be the best I could at the time with the knowledge I had. And like anything else in life, you always, if you're doing it right, you're probably going to gain more knowledge as you go along. So it's tough to say that I wanted it earlier. I think that's what everyone says. If I knew now what I knew then. What's the song? Who is it? Rod Stewart that sings that? Who sings that? I'm not sure. Oh, man. Darn. I wish we knew who that was. Yeah, we're messing up here with our musical <laughs> knowledge. This is this is not good. <laughs> I know. But... I, I wish I knew then what I know now. And I mean, that's that's life and we can't change that. I'm glad I went through it and I'm glad I experienced it. And hopefully it's something that I can teach a new generation of pitchers so they don't, they don't have to go through those same learning curves. Ah, so here we are thinking again about uh, teaching pitchers as opposed to teaching <laughs> uh, young quarterbacks. <laughs> well, as long as one of my boys pitches, I, I think I can displace that energy there and be okay. <laughs> yeah. For sure, Clayton. You know, we've all heard the, you know, technology data helps pitchers. If only I knew then. Unless I'm mistaken, you were teammates with Mark Burley very early yes. in your career. And while I only had a, a chance to interact with him a few times, I got the impression that he maybe wouldn't have been into the analytics, that he just liked to get the baseball <laughs> and, and use his smarts and just pitch. Yeah, he was, he taught me and he, he didn't want to take on the role of, mentoring but he did such a great job by example that it really resonated through the pitchers that you saw come through the the dinks the floyd that whole chris sale there's so many young pitchers that were coming up at the time that he positively impacted and i don't know if he knows this or not but you're going to see how how they pitched and how they attacked the zone with the confidence that they don't have to overthink it 90 percent of the battle is just throwing a pitch with conviction and he did that every single pitch. And that, that was pretty special. So did you hear why he never shook? Um, I have not, no. Okay, and I might be butchering this story. But it was one of his first starts up. And he shook off a pitch, a line drive right by his face. And he came back to the dugout. I, I don't remember who was catching him at the time, but said, that's why you don't shake. And then, sure enough, I don't know that he shook again in his career. But... The, the lesson being that even if it's the wrong pitch, if you throw it with conviction, your chances to succeed are, are greatly increased over a pitch that you throw like with a 50-50 mindset. And he was able to do that as good, if not better, than any other pitcher that I, I played with. You know, I have heard that said many, many times. Can you really articulate why the quote-unquote wrong pitch or less correct pitch is better than a not fully convicted best pitch? Yes, I, I hope I can. <laughs> it's, to me, and this is my opinion because I do not have 
it would be very hard to quantify this, but in my experience, when you threw a pitch without conviction, everything we talk about spin rate and the effect that has, when you did not throw a pitch with conviction, there was reservation and the ball did not come out with the same life that it does when you're 100% convicted. So if, it, if you're throwing a four-seam fastball and at the end, when you're getting ready to release it, you're like, oh, I'm not sure if this is it. That high spin rate four-seamer that's riding up in the zone that if you threw with conviction, has a little bit less. And if you watch a game of baseball, how many of those four-seamers at the top of the zone get fouled straight back? And the difference between that one getting fouled straight back and the one hit, being hit over the fence is really just fractions of inches, like a fraction of an inch. So if you think that if I don't throw it with conviction and it has an effect on the spin rate, it's also going to have an effect on the movement. And that little bit of change is the difference between a ball getting hit really hard or fouled off or swung through. Yeah, this is where we could use some data points and it would be really impossible to get them if we could wire pitchers' brains to know when they weren't fully convicted oh. and to see how much their pitches really moved and hit the, hit the spot. Without a doubt. And that's what makes a valuable pitching coach so valuable is their ability to communicate with a pitcher as to why they did this or what were you thinking in this moment. Because if we cannot get to the point where we understand what the pitcher on the mound is thinking in that moment, it's going to be very hard to coach them because you have to rely on external cues, what you see, but we don't get to the root of why they are doing what they're doing and what needs to be adjusted. And the only way to get to that is through actively communicating with the pitcher that's going through those emotions and those actions and seeing how their behavior is adjusted. And if, if you're able to make that connection through communication with the pitcher, those really good pitching coaches, that, that's, that's where they have their impact. And it might be interesting to do some sort of neurological testing on a famous non-shaker like Mark Burley as to what was going through his brain, you know, part of his brain may think when the fingers go down, that's not the, the right pitch. It's not what I want, but he throws it anyway. Right. Or does his brain not actively think, no, I was thinking something else. Yeah, exactly. I would love to see that. There's a couple of things on that front I would love to see. That, how their brain operates when they get a sign. Then how quickly they're able to go from that reaction of what it is back to focus on just executing a pitch. And then... I've always been intrigued by where one focuses, because I know they've done this on hitters, but for a pitcher, where are his eyes in his delivery? Where are the great, like the great command, like a Greg Maddox, where were his eyes at certain points in his delivery? Was he looking at the glove the whole time? Was he like a sniper where he has a big picture and then focus, has a fine focus at the, the exact right moment before he pulls the trigger? Where were their eyes? Because I think that's something that, that plays a huge point that, Really, it's tough to diagnose and understand what would be ideal because we just have, we don't know that. Yeah, you were a Cub, I believe, for a year. Was Kyle Hendricks on that team? Yes, yes. Yeah, how his brain works may be interesting to delve into because watching him pitch when he's on top of his game, he seems like a genius, you know, yes. almost, almost like a Greg Maddox light. Yes, and I wouldn't say that's out of the question to call him a genius. I, I think that's pretty pretty an accurate assessment of his ability to dissect a swing, understand the how he's attacks a game plan and his his ability to go pitch from pitch and either duplicate the same pitch or manipulate 
the ball from a pitch that was or was not successful to the next pitch. And he does it as good, if not better, than anybody in the game right now. Yeah. Do you think he might be the smartest pitcher that you have played with, or is that really hard to differentiate? That's hard because you don't get the opportunity to talk to everyone the same. And so many pitchers are so intelligent and they just, you don't realize it unless you really sit down and talk with them. He's definitely up there. Another one that is super intelligent is Trevor Cahill. He understands things at a very high level. If I'm not mistaken, Hendricks went to Dartmouth, right? I believe so. And I think Trevor might have signed to go to Dartmouth. <laughs> so there, there's there's a connection there. But there, I'm trying to think of someone else that sticks out that their intelligence was just extremely high. Because I know I've played with quite a few that, that had that. John Lester was very intelligent and knew what he had to get done. There's so many. Right. Lester being a pitcher who at spring training a few years ago, I asked about whether he would ever want to be involved in a piggyback or, you know, uh, an opener type of situation mm-hmm. where he could actually be on the mound in the ninth inning. And he looked at me like I had three heads. <laughs> to, to him, that's not baseball. It's not what he grew up with. Right. So even though he knew he probably wasn't going to go all nine because it just wasn't happened, he wanted that opportunity. Well, and it's hard to, when you are ingrained in a way of baseball for so long and your idols and the people that you looked up to, the Nolan Ryan, the Roger Clemens, the best of the best, they did it a certain way. And you knew that if they did it right, they're going to be out there for nine innings. To think that that's not going to happen, it's a tough pill to swallow. And really, as a starting pitcher, why not strike? Like, that should be your goal. That should, Even if it is unlikely and things are transitioning the other way, what better feeling is it now to do it? Like there's not a better feeling to accomplish something that not as many people are are accomplishing. No, absolutely. And maybe this is a good way to close with the caveat that maybe we have a few more no hitters this year. (laughs) You know, you're going to see your kids are going to see Joe Musgrove pitch today and maybe he'll go nine. And maybe one day that your kids will look at him as an idol, much as I'm sure they look at their father as an idol for bringing them to uh, the ballpark today. I I really hope so. And that's, (laughs) you you never know what spark is. I want the kids to be passionate about something. I don't know what that is or what that will be, but it'll be very cool for them to get a spark from a a big league ball game. And I'm excited to give them that opportunity and we'll go have some fun. So cool. Clayton, have fun with the kids and thank you for coming on to Fangraphs Audio. No problem. Anytime. Thanks for having me. And listeners, everybody have a good 4th of July holiday and stay safe. This has been Fangraphs Audio. Thank you to Jansen Junk and Clayton Richard for joining us. Remember to take a look at the Fangraphs store and sign yourself up for the Fangraphs newsletter while you're at it. It's a great way to stay apprised of what we have going on, which is plenty. Have a good weekend. We'll see you next week.